Isn't that cool, guys? That's so cool. I tell you, one of my favorite parts about being a member of River Ridge Church is the ways that we impact our local communities. And one of my favorite ways our church does that is by the Dollar Club. So, so cool. Great to see all the things that we're doing in that ministry. And so cool just to be a part of this church and everything that we're doing. But good morning, everyone. It is great to see all of your smiling faces here joining us this morning. And of course, we always want to say hello to everyone who is joining us online. No matter where in the world you are joining us from this morning, we are glad that you are here with us today. Well, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Jason Elliott, uh, and my family has been attending River Ridge Church for probably the last year and a half or so. Uh, and in that time, you guys might have seen me serving in the middle school ministry. We call it Wired every Sunday morning, uh, maybe in the Fuse ministry for high school students on Sunday evenings. And recently, Chad and Andy actually invited me to bring the message one Sunday morning. And so this morning, I have the privilege of continuing our series that we are calling Press Play. So in this series, we're talking about all the worship songs that we sing and the meaning behind these worship songs. And for me personally, I have been loving this series because worship music is so important to me. Um, you know, it just, no matter what's going on in my life, it just kind of just lifts me up. Now, unfortunately for me, I have the musical talent of a tuna fish sandwich. So, but I love listening to worship music because it just, no matter what's going on in my life, it just lifts me up. And I could be having the, the worst week ever. And I'm sure you guys can identify with this, right? Like my kids can miss the bus for school. I can get stuck in traffic on my way to work in the morning. My job can be super stressful. But come Sunday morning, I can come in this sanctuary and our worship team gets up on this stage and they start leading us in worship. And in that moment, it's just me and God while I'm singing praises and lifting my hands to him in worship. Uh, and it's just so good to have that moment. So just really quick, can I just say a quick thank you to all the guys who are in the worship team, the technical team, the online team, all of you guys that come in here and give of your time and your talent to lead this congregation in worship every Sunday. Can I just say a heartfelt thank you to all? Absolutely. Absolutely. So cool. All right, so this morning, we are talking about the song, I Believe. And here's a few lyrics from the chorus. I believe, help my unbelief. When I cannot see what's in front of me, I will trust you. I believe, help my unbelief. All my fears and doubts, I lay at your feet. I will trust you. Now, many of us know this song, but something you guys might not actually know is that this song was written by one of our very own worship leaders here at River Ridge Church, Brandon Harper. And I just think that is so cool. And so when I was getting ready for this message, I actually had a chance to sit down with Brandon. And I asked him, man, what was your inspiration for writing this song? And what did you really hope that people would get out of it while they were singing this song in a time of worship? And Brandon explained to me that this inspiration for his song came from a story that was told in Mark chapter 9. And so if you guys have your Bibles, your phones, or whatever, let's turn over to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to be studying this story this morning. And of course, we'll have the words up here for you guys as well. And it starts out like this. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe. And they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. So 
what's going on here? Let me add just a little bit of context to kind of get you caught up on this scripture. So Jesus and three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, had just been up on what we refer to as the Mount of Transfiguration. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about that story, but if you're unfamiliar with that story, you've never read it, I highly encourage you guys to go back and read that story because it's one of the coolest things to happen in the entire Bible. And so at this point, Jesus and his three disciples are coming back down the mountain and they meet up with the other remaining nine disciples who are down at the bottom of the mountain. And they meet up with these nine disciples. They find them arguing with these teachers of the religious law. Now, who were these guys? These were the guys who strictly followed the laws of Moses. And they were arguing with the disciples because all the things that Jesus was teaching and preaching about didn't really align with their beliefs in Moses' law. And then it says, as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. And by this point in Jesus' ministry, uh, his reputation had kind of preceded him and he was getting pretty well known. And so people would come from all over to hear his teachings, what he was preaching about. And people would come from all over to bring their friends and their families and their loved ones if they were sick, just in the hopes that Jesus might be able to heal them. So this crowd is gathered around, and they're listening to the disciples and these teachers of this religious law argue. And Jesus asks, hey, what's all this arguing about? What's going on? And this guy in the crowd actually chimes in and starts talking. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth... He grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. Now, some of you guys who teach him, rich kids are probably thinking, eh, big deal. We had to kid do that in class just last week. <laughs> so I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. So this father, he brought his son to see Jesus because he's been afflicted by this evil spirit. And when the father got there looking for Jesus, Jesus wasn't around. Remember, Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And so he got there, and he's like, well, Jesus isn't here. He asked somebody, hey, you know where Jesus is at? Well, Jesus actually isn't really here right now, but you can probably talk to his disciples. They got a pretty good track record for casting out spirits and healing people and things like that. So he did. He went and talked to the disciples. He says, hey, can you guys help me out? And they said, yeah, sure, we've done this a thousand times. We can help out, no problem. But this time, the disciples couldn't do it. And this is actually a really big deal because up to this point, the disciples have been batting a thousand when it comes to helping people and casting out spirits like this. But all of a sudden, nothing is working for them. And so Jesus hears this and he has this reaction. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Now read that last sentence again. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I believe, but help me overcome 
my unbelief. This father is expressing something that, if we're all being honest here, each and every one of us really deals with. I believe and I doubt. I pray and I also waver. And I hope and I fear. See, in Christianity, we often categorize people into one of two different groups, believers and unbelievers. We think that you either have faith or you have unbelief and doubt. But unbelief and doubt aren't really defined as the absence of faith. In fact, I'd probably put it like this. In every believer, there exists faith and doubt. So then the big question kind of becomes, well, why do we doubt? I, I guess there's a few reasons that come to mind. And the first I'd like to say is, oftentimes God doesn't really do what we would do. This father, for example, if, you know, I'm sure if he were God, he would have healed his son of this affliction that he has a very, very long time ago. And if we're all being honest here, I think at some point in our lives, each one of us would kind of like to have said to God, you know, God, sometimes it just seems like you really aren't doing things right. And if I were you, I would do things a whole lot differently. Maybe you're somebody who kind of grew up in church and you can remember sitting in Sunday school class and someone told you that, you know, if you'll just read your Bible and you'll pray and you'll be a good person, then God will bless you. And so as you grew up, you prayed and you read your Bible and you came to church when you could and you tried your best to be a good person. But when you got older and became an adult, you realized that life really wasn't as perfect as what you thought it was going to be. Uh, maybe your marriage really wasn't as strong as you thought it should have been. Maybe your relationship with your kids wasn't really what you thought it should have been. And you've asked and you've wondered, God, are these really the blessings that you always had in store for me? Maybe, maybe your career uh, doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And that job opening that you've always dreamed of finally came open. And it was going to be a big promotion for you. And you just knew that this was God's way of making a path and making a way for you to have that career that you've always dreamed of. Right up until the moment when somebody else got the job. Somebody maybe even less qualified than you were. And you wonder... God, where are you at in this? And, you know, many times, unfortunately, I've heard people say, you know, I was really praying for that person, and they didn't deserve to go through all that pain and all that trouble while they were fighting that disease. And I really believed that God could heal them, that God was going to heal them. And then he didn't. And you ask, God, where are you in this situation? I think we also get influenced by things that bring doubt into our lives. Like, have, have you ever had that friend that you're talking to them and you're just pouring your heart out to this person about things that really matter to you, things that are so important into your life, and you're just saying, you know, I wish this would get better. I wish my marriage would get stronger. I hope my relationship with my kids get better. I hope my career takes off. I just hope all these things work out. But instead of offering you these words of encouragement that you're hoping this friend tells you and lifting you up and say, hey, it's going to be okay. That friend says, man, you know what? You just need to give up on that dream. That ain't never going to happen. I heard somebody say one time that negative people can find a problem for every solution. But, but it's not always other people. So a couple of weeks ago, get this, uh, a few of us leaders in the Fuse High School ministry, we decided to take the graduating high school seniors on a camping trip. And, and on this camping trip, we decided that we were going to hike to the top of Seneca Rocks. 
Now, at the bottom of this mountain, I told myself, listen, I hiked this mountain 20 years ago back when I was in college. I'm going to be able to keep up with these high school seniors, no problem. Easy peasy, man, I got this. It's going to be easy. Well, about halfway up this mountain, my confidence in being able to keep up with these teenagers is starting to decrease dramatically. And the farther and the farther we keep going up this mountain, the more that little voice inside my head said, you know, Jason, that idea you had about trying to keep up with these teenagers probably wasn't the best idea that you ever had. But I couldn't stop now because if I stopped now, they'd never let me live it down. So I had to keep going, just had a sheer wheel, right? And so we're almost to the top of this mountain. We have reached almost the pinnacle of Seneca Rocks. And the only thing that my brain can think about in that moment is that little old lady who used to be on the TV commercial that said, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> and, and we laugh, right? But if we're being serious, oftentimes the biggest influence of doubt that we have in our lives is that little voice that lives in our own heads that tells us, you're not going to make it through this. This is not going to work out for you. You might as well turn around and just give up now. This father told Jesus, have mercy on us and help us if you can. And as I was preparing this message, I thought, you know, how many times have I thought to myself, I believe that God can help people. I just don't know if God will help me. Or I believe that God can forgive people but I just don't know if God will forgive me after all the things that I've done. And unfortunately, the louder and louder this voice in my head gets, the more I tend to believe all the things it's telling me. Especially when I'm trying my best to make things in life work out, but nothing I do seems to be working. And I think that leads us to another source of doubt that we have in our lives, is that we try things all the time, and they just don't work. This father said that his son had been afflicted with this evil spirit since childhood. Now, we don't know how old this boy is, but we can assume that he's been dealing with this affliction for a very long time. And this father has likely tried to comfort his child. He's probably tried to take him to the doctor. He's probably to do everything he can to help his child, but nothing has worked out so far. And so this guy, this father, heard that Jesus was coming around. He probably got really excited because Jesus' reputation had preceded him. And he's heard all the great things that Jesus has done. And he said, I know, I'll take my son to see Jesus. Maybe Jesus can help me. And he took his son all the way and he got there and Jesus wasn't there. And somebody says, hey, you could maybe talk to the disciples. They've got a pretty good track record for this. Go talk to the disciples. He says, yeah, I'll talk to the disciples. I'll go talk to them. Maybe they can help me out. So he talked to the disciples, and the disciples says, yeah, we've done this a thousand times. Bring him on over. Come on, let's try this. And the disciples tried, and they couldn't help either. And after everything he had done, nothing for this father had worked. It's an incredibly helpless feeling whenever you care about something so deeply, so personally, uh, but nothing you've tried seems to help. When our oldest daughter, Hope, was three years old, she started developing some medical problems. Um, at first, she kept falling down all the time, and we thought maybe she had a balance issue. Maybe she had an ear infection. There was fluid on her ear, and it was causing a balance issue, and she couldn't keep her balance, and she kept falling, falling down. Unfortunately, as symptoms got worse, we realized that she was actually losing strength in her feet and in her legs. And she kept falling down because she had no strength in her legs. The symptoms kept moving up her body, 
and into her arms and into her hands. She was no longer to hold a cup, wrap her hands around a cup to drink. And so my wife and I had to help her drink water and out of a cup. And unfortunately, these symptoms continued to get worse and worse and worse. And eventually, she lost all strength in her feet and in her legs. She wasn't even able to stand up anymore, let alone walk. Uh, and my wife and I had to physically carry her anytime she needed to be moved to the couch, to the dinner table, to the restroom, or to bed at night. During this time, we visited her pediatrician in Taze Valley, and they couldn't figure out what the problem was. After that, we spent many, many days and nights in the hospital in Huntington, and they ran so many tests trying to figure out what was causing these issues, but nothing came back definitive, and they couldn't figure out what was causing these problems. They referred us to a specialist at a children's hospital up in Columbus, Ohio, and they even did a spinal tap on my three-year-old daughter trying to figure out what was causing these problems. And while all these tests were going on, and while we're seeing all these doctors, my daughter's medical condition was getting worse and worse and worse. And I really wanted to believe that my daughter was going to be healed, that this entire nightmare scenario that we were going through would just go away and would be a distant memory, and life would just get back to normal. But if I'm being honest with you, in my heart of hearts, I honestly doubted that my daughter would ever be able to walk again. So the thing is, when these doubts come into our lives, how do we deal with them? Let me, let me see if I can illustrate something for you. So what if I told you that I have a quarter in my hand right now? Would you believe me? Maybe you would. Maybe you'd say, yeah, Jason, you seem like a decent guy. I believe you. And that's faith. I told you there's something to believe. You believed it. That's faith. That's basically the definition of faith. Now, you're not 100% certain there's a quarter in my hand because you can't see it. But you believe it's there because I told you there's something to believe. Now, so what if I ask you how sure you are there's a quarter in my hand? Would you say maybe you're 50% sure? Maybe you're 75% sure I have a quarter in my hand right now. Well, if you're 75% sure, that means you also have 25% doubt. But if I open my hand and I showed you this quarter in my hand, now how much faith do you have that I have a quarter in my hand? 100%? See, you actually have 0% faith that I have a quarter in my hand right now because now you have certainty. There's evidence. You can see it. You have certainty. And anytime you have certainty in anything, it can no longer really be called faith. So what if I asked some other questions about faith? Like what if I asked, how sure am I that if I read my Bible every day and I pray that my life will improve? Maybe I'm 70% sure and I have 30% doubt. What, I ask, what if I ask really big questions like, how sure am I that God really exists? Maybe I'm 99% sure, and I have 1% doubt. So the question really isn't whether or not I'll have doubt. That's a given. That's, everybody has doubt. It's a given. But the real question is, what do I do with the doubt that I have? And our second point says this. When faced with doubt, God asks us for faithfulness. So what exactly is faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful? Well, when I'm faithful, I am committing myself to something. I make a promise. I choose 
to devote myself to something. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a friendship or a ministry you're involved in. Maybe that's your job or your marriage even. Um, and faithfulness is a choice. I choose to be faithful. Faithfulness is committing to believing in something despite having the presence of doubt. And it doesn't mean that there's no doubt there. It just means that even in the presence of that doubt, I still choose to be committed to my faith. And the thing is, there's going to be times in our lives when we're going to have to be 100% committed to something, even when we don't have 100% certainty in our beliefs about it. Uh, so I'll give you an example. So my wife and I, we just celebrated our 15-year anniversary. And I can remember my wedding ceremony like it was yesterday. Um, so, you know, my wife and I were standing at the front of this church. We were surrounded by our family and friends. And my wife and I are standing up there, and, and I'm standing there, I'm staring at my beautiful bride, and I'm reciting my vows. Now, imagine for just a moment, if I looked at my wife when I was reciting my vows, and I said, honey, I am going to be 95% committed to you, I'll be 95% faithful to you in our entire marriage. How do y'all think that went over my wife? Well, if y'all know my wife, you know that I'd still be sleeping on the couch today. <laughs> but see, when you're faithful to something, you choose to be committed to it. You say, you know what? I am all in on this. I am 100% committed. And no matter what comes in life, no matter what decision it might be, whether that's having kids or changing your career, or maybe even following God, that you're going to be 100% committed to this even when you don't have 100% certainty in it. So Hebrews chapter 11 describes it like this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we cannot see. And really what we're talking about here, guys, is, is faithfulness. Faithfulness is fully trusting in things even when we cannot see what's in front of us. Just like the song that Brandon wrote says, when I cannot see what's in front of me, I will trust you. All right, so let's read the rest of this scripture and the story in Mark. So when Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. You know, this father had been through so much trying to help his son. He'd been helping his son for so long, trying to help him get through this affliction that's been hurting him so badly. But nothing he did seemed to be helping and when he brought his son to see Jesus, and he trusted Jesus to help his son through this affliction, it says that the boy went into convulsions and that his son appeared to be dead. And you know, whenever I read the scripture, whenever I read stories like this in the Bible, I always try to put myself in the place of the people in the story. And I wonder, how would I have reacted if I was that person? What would I have been thinking? What would I have done? What would I have said? What would my reaction have been in that moment? And in this moment, I cannot imagine what this father must have been thinking after everything that he had been through with his son. And he trusted Jesus to help his son. But now it appeared that his son was dead. 
See, there are going to be times in life when things look like they're getting much worse before they ever get better. But can I tell you guys something today? Just because things look like they're getting worse doesn't necessarily mean that God isn't working through his plan. I've seen people experience a layoff from their jobs, and they're just devastated by this job loss, and and they're worried, and they're just distraught over how they're going to support their family after this job loss has happened, only to have an even better career just fall into their laps. I've seen people go through incredibly difficult challenges, and later on in life, they look back on those difficult times, and they say they're so grateful that they experienced those difficulties, because they say that's whenever they learn to trust in God's plan. Our song that we sing says, when I cannot see what's in front of me, I will trust you. And that's why our last point here is so important. See, when we practice faithfulness, our faith will grow. When I was growing up, I can remember working out uh, with my grandfather in his shop, and we would work on all sorts of woodworking projects. We would do all kinds of things, woodworking, and just spend hours and hours out there together. And something that I always remember about my grandfather in those times we were working on those projects was that whenever he didn't have the right material or he might not have the right tool to accomplish what he was trying to do, Rather than worrying about what he didn't have, he would always look at things from the perspective of what he could do with what he already had. And really, guys, our faith works the exact same way. Instead of worrying about all the things that might not happen, and instead of worrying about all the things that God won't do in our lives, we can practice faithfulness for the things that God can do. Practice faithfulness. But notice, there's a really important word in that statement. Practice. Practice means that there's effort involved. Practice means that there's action on our part involved. And James chapter 2 describes it like this. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You know, we've all heard the phrase that actions speak louder than words. And we read this story of this father's struggle with his faith. He asked Jesus, have mercy on us and help us if you can. He said, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. So the words that he used might not have been filled with the strongest words of faith, and his words weren't all that strong, maybe, in his belief. But I want to challenge that and say that his actions told a different story. Because at the very beginning of the scripture, it says that even through all the difficulties he had endured, he brought his son before Jesus. And there may be times in our lives when things just feel so difficult and the load on our shoulders feels so heavy and it feels like the only thing that we can do is just bring our worries and our struggles and our doubts and our fears and bring them before God in our prayers. And guys, if that's all that we can do, that's okay. Start there. Because when we learn to trust God through those difficult times, that's when our faith really begins to grow. All right, so this week, I want to challenge us to practice our faithfulness. And how do we do that? Well, here's a couple of ways I want to challenge us this week. Number one, I need to face my doubts. Guys, listen, it is okay to have doubts. We all have them, each and every one of us. 
And the very first thing that we need to do to overcome our doubts is admit that we even face them. So in our prayers this week, let's confess openly to God and say, God, you know what? I am struggling with this doubt. I'm having a really hard time trusting you with this because it means so much to me. God, help me in this doubt. Scripture says that this father asked Jesus, help my unbelief. He was honest with him. And if we're honest with our God, he can help us with our doubts. But first, we have to be honest with God about the doubts that we do have. And the second and the more probably important part of this whole thing is that I need to fill my thoughts with truth. And how do we do that? Well, the more intimately that I know the Word of God, the more effectively I can fight all the doubts that come into my life. See, if we're not feeding our faith on a consistent and regular basis, it gets easier and easier for all these doubts to start creeping in in our lives. Sometimes even we don't even realize it. That's why it's so important that we need to spend time in the Scripture and in the Word. And just like Andy and Chad always encourage us to do, you know, just take 15 minutes a day and just read God's Word. If that's a devotional, that's great. If you want to read one chapter a day, that's great. But just take some time every day and spend in God's Word. And in that way, we will make our faith stronger, and then it becomes easier for us to trust in God, even when we cannot see what's in front of us. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for the times that you give us the faith to get through the difficult times. But God, I also thank you that you've given us the free will and the understanding that we have doubts in our lives. God, I thank you that you're there for us when we have those doubts. I thank you that you're there for us whenever we don't know what's going on and we're struggling that we can come and talk to you and say, God, I'm struggling with this. I need your help. I thank you that you're a big God, the God that created the entire universe and that you can handle my doubts. God, I pray that you would help us to get more into your word, to read all the times that you were there for everyone who needed it. And God, that you would remind us that through everything that we've been through, you've never failed us yet. You're not going to start now. God, for all those that are here today, as they go this week, I pray that you would help them through the doubts that they have, that you would let them be honest, that they would work through them, and they would combat them, and that you'd make their stronger, faith stronger each and every day. God, I love you, I thank you, and I praise you for all that you've done in our lives. 